Welcome to the Championship Club podcast. I'm your host, Michael Casey, and co-hosting with me is a man with over 300 Championship Rugby appearances. It's Ben Gulliver. Be sure to check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and head to YouTube to like and subscribe to the channel. Welcome to the show. I am delighted to say that today's guest is Leicester Tigers captain and England and British and Irish Lions hooker Tom Youngs. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Championship Clubs podcast. No worries. That's a pleasure to be on, boys. Pleasure to be here. Hey, Youngsy. Good, good to see you, mate. Uh, good win at the weekend. How, how are things up at Tigers at the minute? Yeah, mate. It was a you know it was, it was a nice nice win. You know, quarter final um, into semi final. Actually, what I loved about it most was post post uh, game. We were all a little bit frustrated, actually. Still, we're still not hitting the straps we want to hit. So pleasing is that that's coming from players. That's coming from us as, as a group and where we want to get to. Um, but yeah, it, it's nice to be um, winning some games and, and into a, into a semi over the years. Obviously, the recent years has been pretty pretty hard work as a less ties player and fan. Um, so it's nice to be sort of winning some games. But you know, they, um, they're coming thick and fast at the moment. Bath this weekend away on a Sunday, so they they you know it, you're only one loss away from going back again. So um, you know we're, we're we're pushing forward as, as best. Mm-hmm. We can. Do you know what's nice as well is that you've got the Bath Leicester game coming up this weekend when both of you are you, you've seemed to have turned a corner as clubs and I think when I came on loan up there was, I sat in a meeting and I remember Cockers just firing into the boys about the, the rivalry of that game and I think we talk about a journey a lot on this show but like Leicester seemed to have gone full circle you'd have been part of that yeah. um, and a game like this this weekend coming up must, must get you fired up and you know get the heart going a bit. It does, mate. It's, it's a big, big game. Um, as you said, the rivalry, which I know very well. Um, I think Steve will know it on, you know, obviously he played a long time at Bath, so he understands it um, yeah. as well. So, you know, it's, it's it's always a great game. Shame there can't be any fans there, obviously. Uh, but, you know, we both sit very equal on points in the table. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a big one. It's a big one. Yeah. I suppose we're just sort of going to touch on sort of your, your time in the champ and, you know, we'll go into that in a bit. But what what have been sort of the big key changes for you this year with, with, with Steve coming in? And, you know, from a, from an outsider's view, it's sort of like, obviously, he's got an unbelievable reputation and work ethic, but the rest of the coaching staff seem to have stayed the same. And like, how, how's that all been? And, you know, what's 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 he changed and how's, how's that looking? You know, it, you know, he's brought in, you know, not only himself, but he's brought in Alan Walters as well. He's done a massive part of behind the scenes as well. I think, I think we're just, we've gone back to a clear identity, what we are. Um, and, you know, and, and, and Steve drives it every day. Um, I think he's um, got a clear direction where we need to go. He's got a, a clear plan. You know, it's, it's not, reactive whether you win or lose at the weekend it's a, there's a plan in place and there's probably another plan another plan after that with Steve he's he's to the to the dot mate he's unbelievable how organised he is and the way he does it I just think got a good group of players now I think you know Leicester's a big old ship mate and uh, you know it, it, it's very been successful over the years and, it, and it, it's taken some turning around and we're probably we're in the right direction now. Um, there's there's plenty of work to do to keep it going that way, and um, you know we, we make no bones about it. We're willing all to keep working as hard as what Steve shows us and, and keep grafting at it. Um, but it just shows you know some hard work and and um, a clear plan. You start to win some games, and it and it it, it make you know the worst thing is though, as I said earlier, is like people start talking about it a little bit, and it's like you know. You're only one loss away from going back, you know, and you just want to keep going forward, and, and that's the main thing. So, 
as I said, you know, that semi-final will reach that, but really feet it firmly on the ground. We know how much more where we want to go to and how much how much more that's going to take us to get us there. I just think it's great, great for English rugby. It's obviously good for the people of Leicester as well. But there's a definite change in sort of body language, and like with yourselves and with it around the place. It just looks like a lot more positive environment, which is, as a sort of former player for three months, it's nice to see. Mate, <laughs> uh, no, it's it, it, you know it, you know it, it's great to be a part of, uh, yeah. and it's it's um it's you know Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure to work with him. He's a fantastic guy. Hell of a coach, work ethic as you've alluded to already is unbelievable. Um, and then those guys underneath him, are, you know, really stepped up to the plate and um, you know are really pushing us forward as well. So it's it's great to be a part of. Cool. So Tom, obviously a, a stunning time at uh, Leicester and career so far. And on this show, we we like to sort of uh, shine a light on that some of the successes and some of the stories uh, of the championship and some of the roles that it's played in in various uh, players' career. And of course, with yourself back in the early days, the uh, the championship had a a pretty pivotal role. I think it's fair to say. Can we sort of uh, delve into those early times with uh, both Nottingham and Bedford? Yeah, massively. Obviously, they were huge. You know, um, the, the the Bedford one I was centre then and. Um, went there for two seasons and it was fantastic. Loved every part of it. And it was a real stepping stone. I, I think actually I, I always alluded to it. It's the first time I really understood, you know, bonus point wins and, and or bonus point losses and how much that means in the league and stuff like that. It, it's all well and good playing second team rugby, but it isn't that consequences and that, that you're then suddenly a part of people. It's their livelihood, you know, and it, it means a lot um, to get a bonus point loss, you know, to fight out and like it, so I can only praise it massively, what it's done for my career. And obviously then I moved to Hooker and we were trying to tee up to go to Bedford again, but then Nottingham, Glenn Delaney was there and, and swung it around and, and needed a Hooker and also went up there. And I did two and a half seasons, 60 plus games for them, I think it was, and had an absolute whale of time, mate. Loved it, um, you know, and, and it was always, always meant to be a stepping stone back to Leicester, but I never... I never, I always made Nottingham my club or Bedford my club. Wherever I was going to, it wasn't like, oh, this is, this is, this is not good enough for me, you know, kind of thing. Which I think some people get very wrong when they go on loan to play. This was like, this is, this is my club. If I'm if I go well here, if I play as well as I can, that will give me the best opportunity to step back up to the Premiership. Um, um, but you know, I had some great years there, and and I and. I wouldn't be where I am now without those experiences, um, especially with moving position. I wouldn't be here now of those guys who, um, you know, Nick Rouse, Craig Hammond, there's plenty of them at Nottingham who, who really helped me along um, in, in, you know, in my transition from hooker, uh, from centre to hooker. Um, to help me get back into a less tight shirt. I wonder, I've always wondered, guys, who whose idea was that to go from yeah. the hooker? Was it was it yours or were you pushed in there, mate? No, I wasn't I wasn't put it was Heineken Mayer, you know, ex-African coach. He was here for a while at the Tigers and he he he'd seen me sort of all pre-season. I'd played centre and I played a few times off the bench of the club under him and second team games here and there. And then he just said, I think you should move to hooker, I think you should give it a go. And I, I was pretty keen for it to be honest. And I I probably saw a bigger future in that position if I could do it. You know, it's all, you know, you know, as I always say to a lot of people, you know, talk is cheap and it is like, we can all say, I'm going to go and do this. Actually doing it is the hardest thing to do. 
So, um, but no, I got the opportunity to do it. And I said, I went to Nottingham and just played. And I, Heineken then left and then Cockers took over the sort of thing and kept me there. And he didn't drag me back for second team games or anything like that. I think one or two I had to play sometimes on Saturday and a Monday, which obviously you're not allowed to do anymore. But um, on the whole, it was Nottingham, all Mass and C done at Leicester. But on the whole, it was playing at Nottingham. That's what I was doing. Mate, you had some good characters there as well, didn't you? Like, yeah, it was a good team. It was a good team. There's a lot, I'd have been at Pirates, I think, at the time. And yeah. Rouse, Rousey and, and Hamo, like, they're big yeah. characters and good people for you to, to learn your trade at Hooker, mate. Brilliant people, you know. And Neil Falks, you know, um, Matt Parr. And, you know, there was tons of them, mate. You know, they're all, you know, they all helped me so much and were so patient with me, um, you know, because I... I'd balls it up in games. I would balls it up. And I'd try and make the best of it I could, but I would balls it up. And and they were they were brilliant at um, helping me along. And, you know, I think what I, people ask me, what was your highlight and best thing you've ever achieved? And you, one of them, honestly, the best thing I've achieved in my life is, in my career is that I won player's player that first year at Nottingham. And that showed to me that I'd actually really brought in, like the, what, how I went in there thinking, you cannot be the guy who rocks up and... He's just using it as a stepping stone. You've got to buy in. And that was a massive thing for me to win that player's player of the year. So that was huge. And a real, uh, you know, a feather from a cap almost of like, actually, no, I, you know, I did buy in. But, you know, Glenn Delaney coaching us, they helped me so much. More than they probably realised. They really did. How were those first That's few nice. experiences of uh, playing championship at Hooker? Obviously, having previously played at Bedford as a centre. Well, mate, you probably know the champ, champ don't mind a fight now and again. That's probably levelled off a bit now, but I'm, I'm always game for that. But it's um, it was everyone, because I knew I was moved from a centre to a hooker, was after me. So there was plenty of punching, plenty of fighting at the beginning. Um, throwing was like throwing a beach ball in the wind at times, um, you know. So they were interesting. And uh, <laughs> but I learned from the experiences and got better. So, But they were, they were very interesting. Um, they were great, great times though. Enjoyed it, you know. As I played, eighty minutes most, 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 most games, and week in, week out, and didn't really rest, and just kept playing, playing, and playing. Luckily, didn't pick up any injuries, and just kept going at it. Any memorable particular battles in that in that season, those seasons? Donny, mate. Donny was always one going up at Donny. Jesus, always. I remember remember getting hit once in the face. I didn't even know who hit me, and I punched someone back. Can't remember who it was. I don't think he even hit me. So whoever hit me got away with it. But yeah, there was there was many times I remember throwing the ball in and, and it landed in the opposition scrum ass hands. That was interesting. <laughs> you know, even the referees looking at it, he going, yeah. oh, oh, that's a shocker, isn't it? But there we go. <laughs> Boys getting stuck into you. Yeah. Or not. There was um particularly your time in Bedford, you you're not the only um Tiger that's gone on to have you know fantastic careers at Welford Road that that went through a similar sort of role I believe but particularly in that was it 2006 to eight uh, Bedford yeah. squad there was quite Roley, a few of Roley, you. yeah Dan Cole Ollie Dodge but he then carried on playing Bedford many years yeah we we went off and yeah we we, we you know we do look back on it at fun times we had great times and it's not only that you you, you can get a bit academy players nowadays you know you get your kit washed you get all these bits and bobs and and it's all well and good um but it's a good lesson for you to learn mate of one how to organize your week do you know what I mean of like you've got to wash your kit you've got to be on time at training all those bits and bobs two as i said earlier was like you get a real feel of what a bonus point win does for you in the league um which is huge at times isn't it or a loss you know it can really get to understand that and 
I think it just teaches you some very, very good lessons of how to get up for a game, for example. You know, it's easy when you first start, you know, you run out at Welsh Road or whatever, you, you're going to get up for it. But there's times in your career where, well, at the moment, there's no crowds. Um, and I think actually that's taken some people some time to adjust. Where from I've had experience of, you know, go to Rotherham away or whatever, and you run around the corner and you're in the 15 metre mark, it's the smallest pitch ever, the change in the tiny. And you've got all these experience of like, you know, you, it, it's funny and you're like, but you've also got to get yourself ready to play, play well for a team. So, you know, it's not only just the playing, there, there was, there's, you know, the, the life lessons of, of, um, was huge to learn at 18 years old, 19 years old. And, 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 and as I say, me and Coley do look back on them and, and always think how they really did set us up brilliantly for, um, for a career. What about, um, so in like your current squad, when you're obviously one of the senior players and captain, <laughs> you'll have the young lads that are going out on loan. And yeah. how, how do you, you know, obviously you spoke really well about it there. What, what's your advice to those guys? And it's like, yeah, just get out there, get it done. Or is it, you know, pick my, the right pathway? Yeah, my biggest advice to them is make it your own club. Right. You know, and, and and you go in there. You don't go in there. You don't turn up in any less gear. You turn up in their kit. If they don't, if you haven't got any kit, you take. You don't take any stash. You you turn up as one of them. Um, you know. And and if you if you play well there and you become the best player on the pitch, or one of the best players in it, you give yourself the best opportunity to come back. Mm. Um, and I think you know I, I can't bear players who kind of hide away from going on loan they almost think it's a it's a step back and you know that their people are not going to make it it's not it's it's about your career and 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 sometimes you've got to play and you, you need to play week in week out um to get better um and I'm, I'm very keen on that look um and so whenever those guys go and i just feed them the experience they understand that me and Cole are good because we've done it you know and we kind of got that experience obviously times have changed now but you know, they go there and a lot more clubs now are more professional. So they have to probably go there more training in a week and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot, they've got to buy in from the beginning and enjoy, enjoy the life, enjoy it. Cause it's a great crack. It's a great crack. You know, in the Instagram champ life, that get, makes me laugh. I love looking at that thing and you know, pop up with something. It always makes me chuckle and reminds me of my great times. Yeah. <laughs> We've had some uh, fantastic examples of sort of young Tigers coming uh, to us at Donny. Um, Johnny McPhillips and Ben White in recent seasons. Great to see those guys doing well at uh, Welford Road. Um, yeah, uh, we've discussed on this show as well that um, it may perhaps offers a route for the player that isn't the superstar at 18, that perhaps is a little uh, later to develop. And is that something that maybe rings true with yourself? Obviously, I know you always yeah. include a positional switch. It does massively, you know, like, you know, it's very cutthroat nowadays, isn't it? It's like they make a decision on someone at the age of, as you say, 19, 20. That's early doors, isn't it? That's early doors. And they, and they can make a decision on someone. It doesn't pan out also, you know, and, and then, but some of those guys who step back, you know, you've got Harry Wells in the second row for us now. Um, you know, at 18, 19, you wouldn't have thought whatever, but he went and earned some trade and learned some trade at Bedford in the second row. And he's flying now. So, um, I, yeah, it, it, it's important from all aspects as you look at it, as you say, is like it can, it can, you, you might need to come because you're, you're not quite there or whatever, and then it might give you a good step up. 
or actually you have got some real good talent there. Let's get some game time into you and see what you can do and then and then go forward again. Yeah, Wells is a real good example of that, isn't he? Yeah, massive, yeah. And, um, like Charlie, Charlie is as well, isn't he? Oh, so yeah, yeah. I call it, I texted him yesterday, he's the boomerang, isn't he? The championship boomerang. Yeah. It's, it's worked out really well for him. It has, mate. And like, again, he hasn't ever, he's loved his time in the champ. You speak about him, he, he loves it. And it's set him up better for his experience yeah. now, you know? And, when, when you're 20 years old, you think you've got years ahead of you and you can do this and that. And then, you know, and then you sort of get 23 and you're, you're holding a tackle shield, you're bored of that. And then you drop down, you go to your Bedford or your Nottingham's or wherever it is, Donny, you go and play a few seasons, they have a great time. And then suddenly, oh, I'm now back in, you know, Premiership and I, I, I'm, I've had some really good experience. Now I'm ready to sort of really push on and, and get some bench spot starts and whatever it is, but you've got some great experiences from before. Do the um, obviously you'll you'll sit in a senior player group and have a lot of conversations with coaches. Do do they are they actively looking in the champ for players? And is it something that you've ever been a part of as in that sort of in those circles? I haven't. I, I know they do actively look at this around the championship. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, um, I haven't ever been. I don't get involved with all the. You know who you know. You may get asked a question about yeah. someone. Do because they might get an inkling that you might know someone. You know, or might know someone who knows them. To yeah. Make a phone call here and there, but honestly, no. But they definitely they're looking the whole time. Yeah, looking the whole time for you know. Um, it depends where they sit in your squad as well. You know, you might want a bit of experience, but it's not going to play week in week out. You want someone there who has got a bit of a role model, can look after some young guys, and and you know, be a role model to the net. It's, you know, it's huge, mate, that what they try and do now in squads. And it's I think it's only going to get bigger that because I think um with the way the money situation is, I think it's going to be that more finer to to um how to work your squad, especially at prem level of, of that really. And you might have a youngster, you might want a senior guy who has got some great experience and is going to develop some young academy boys and help with the academy training, all these other bits and bobs. So I think it's Sort of stuff. Uh, Tom, you've been a fantastic guest and it's brilliant to hear you speak so positively about the champ. We wish you all the best against uh, Bath this weekend and for the rest of the season. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. It was an absolute pleasure. Cheers, Jonesy. Cheers, mate. Cheers, boys. Thank you. You're listening to the Championship Clubs podcast with me, Michael Casey and Ben Gulliver. Check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter and like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Welcome back to the show. Championship action this weekend, having had a bit of break for Easter and there's been some uh, talking points, it's fair to say. Sarri's welcomed back the England cohort and uh, made some noise against Bedford on Sunday. Ealing, a bit of a statement win down in Cornwall, doing what Sarri's couldn't. And of course, Donny now five from five. Uh, Gully, it's been a, another exciting weekend of action. No, it's been good, hasn't it? I um, I managed to catch uh, the the Saris Bedford game, and I thought I thought Bedford held their own for, for times in the game, and it was it was a decent spectacle. I thought sort of the comms were good as well, so sort of Jack and you know Baz and and Benny L did a good job, and it was a it was a good it was a good uh, good game and a good a good thing to watch. Really enjoyed it, and then obviously I thought Pirates. Um, Ealing, I thought it'd be a little bit closer than it was, but I think, you know, looking at the result and speaking to a few people, it just looks like um, they just a bit too much power from really. Um, and then obviously, Cov got a nice, nice little win against Amptill. 
Hartbury sneaking a sneaking a win at the death with Nottingham, and obviously Nottingham have had some news sort of gone out last week about uh, Fauci potentially moving on. Where that is, we're not sure yet, but he's he's obviously done a bit of work with Wasps over the summer and through COVID. So, you know, there's a bit going on in the league, and then clearly, you know, talking point is is Donny marching on, uh, beating Jersey, um, setting up some tasty fixtures over the next next couple of months. Yeah, it certainly hasn't. It's it's great to see for. Those podcast listeners, we've got uh, Ben's uh, cat join us in the uh, on the podcast recording studio for this, which is fantastic. But uh, even more fantastic than that is today's guest. I am delighted to say that we are joined by uh, a man very well known through the champ, certainly one of the league's personalities, currently at Jersey Reds, George Edson. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. All good, mate. Happy to be here. Uh, George, obviously, I, I, I saw you from the sidelines on uh, on, on Saturday. Uh, close enough game up here at Castle Park. Obviously, you moved from Doncaster to Jersey uh, in the summer. How's the reaction been to the the, the weekend's defeat? Um, it was quite tough. It was a game we were definitely eyeing up to to get a win. Um, I felt like there was crucial moments in the game, especially before half time, where we could have come away with points and, and we just didn't. Um, and I think. If we had done that, might have changed the the outcome a little bit. Um, I just felt like the the tale of the of the afternoon was that we just didn't execute when we were when we were, when we needed to, um, and we paid the price. And even though it wasn't a particularly high scoring game, I feel like it um, it could have gone it could have gone either way if we'd have just you know like I said executed when we were in those areas. Edgy, just um, so we've obviously been doing this for a few weeks, and we've been doing a bit of digging and. We had a brief chat to you before the pod started and I wasn't fully aware of the Jersey situation and how, how you get to away games. And, you know, can you, I've got a, a small idea of how it happens, but it's, is it, you're dropping in on the day and it's a pretty, it's a pretty brutal sort of schedule by all accounts. Could you just sort of fill us in on what you're actually doing on, on these away trips and how it all, all works with COVID? So we'll test on a Tuesday and we'll test on a Thursday. And then on the Saturday morning, early doors will fly about half eight, get to where we need to be about half nine, ten, onto two separate buses. And then we'll get the coach straight to the game, off the coach, changing rooms, game, done, and just the same process back again. Um, it doesn't feel as long as it probably sounds, yeah. but they are long days, you know, when you're leaving in the morning at half six, seven to get to the club and then you're coming back at eight o'clock having played a game, you know, waste around the airport for a bit and all that nonsense. Um, but in terms of dragging out, it's not, it's not as bad as it sounds, but obviously it would be more ideal to either have some home games mm. or do what Jersey normally do, which is stay the night before, be fresh that morning, stay the night after and fly back on the Sunday. Not be as fresh on the Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've had the opportunity, um, we, we talked to Phil Bolton in, in episode two about, and I'm paying in episode one, about how COVID sort of a, affected teams' preparations going into the season. I guess, well, I mean, just as simply as a geographical challenge that you get with Jersey, that the challenges that the rest of us on the mainland have um, experienced are probably almost extend uh, are made even more extreme uh, on the island. How was the preparation for the, the season? How Talk us through sort of the timeline and, and what you knew and how you worked your way through that. So we got the... I think we had a date in mind for the start of July initially, obviously, but everything kept changing week on week. And then we finally came in on August the 4th with speculation surrounding a November start date, potentially 
then again that moved to December, December moved to January and so on and obviously the coaches had a massive challenge on their hands having to adapt to the goalposts moving so obviously that would be quite tough and you've got to keep a squad interested and motivated for six to eight months um but you know it was, it, it was nice to be doing something and not just sat at home because there wasn't anything going on the country was in lockdown um so to be playing and allowed out and about to have coffees and all that sort of good stuff was was nice and then obviously that shut down around november time jersey went back into lockdown which was quite tough for everyone because we couldn't fly off the island and go home because of the isolation was too much on the way back and now things are easing up on the island i think we might be in a position to take advantage of the coffee shops and the restaurants again um the only the only challenge really was was the motivation for an eight month preseason. I don't think any rugby player plays rugby for an eight month preseason ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other challenge was obviously dealing with not being able to go home as and when you would have liked. Um, but that's you know that's nothing to do with the rugby club. It's just it's just down to the government restrictions. And um, yeah, I mean that was the only tough bit really. So given um, we're now sort of halfway through the season, where where are the thoughts at of the club, given that you've you've seemed to have managed to ride through these challenges? You're going to look forward to some home games, hopefully, in the second half of the season. Um, in fact, it's not quite the halfway stage for you guys. Of course, you had a bye week as well. What's the uh, mood in the camp with the performances so far and the results? Um, the Richmond result was pretty disappointing. Um, but again, people don't realise how tough they are to play against. Um, even in the National Leagues, they're a tough outfit. And in the Championship, they've turned over... Turned over Ealing the year I was there. You know they've they've taken Irish close before. Uh, they've beaten Jersey a few times. So that was a result that we were pretty disappointed about. Um, we just didn't seem to to click. We didn't seem to stick to the plan that we'd had in place. Um, then went into the Bedford week with a game plan that we executed very well. We stopped Bedford from playing like Bedford, which is always a challenge in itself. Um, but up front, got into them and got the result. And then went into the week just gone with, you know, everyone was in a pretty good headspace. We were quite excited about it. It was a, a massive challenge. So obviously, Donny were four from four at the time. In terms of battle of the forward packs, it was quite a big one up front, um, especially from a scrum and line-out perspective. But I just don't think we, like I said earlier, took the opportunities that were available. And I just don't feel like we've had the rub of the green um, these last few weeks, especially with those Richmond results and the Donny result. Um, but look, you know, the mood's good. Um, it also feels like, someone has, someone said this the other day, it feels like we've been in the season for such a long time when really we've been training since August, but only playing as of a few weeks ago. If this was a regular season, you wouldn't be, you'd be disappointed, but you'd have 25 other games to get into. But now it's a, it's a straight shootout with no cup competition. You know, it's it's every man for himself. And, and th- these games are tough because you don't get a second crack to beat Doncaster again, Richmond again, Sarries again. It's one game and that's it. Yeah. Have you found uh, sort of Sarries being in the league and the hype around them? Obviously, you've been in one of those games or you watching one of those games. But how's how's that from a player's perspective? Is it is it exciting? Or is it you know sweet? I think it is exciting, but I feel like a lot of the general public, Saracens fans and people that don't know much about the second tier of English rugby, I think they all thought that we were just a bunch of children that never played any high level rugby before ever. And that, you know, these poor men would be playing against 
you know, some of the best names in world rugby, which, yeah, that you know, they are amazing players. But a lot of lads in the championship have played at the top level, been around the top level, and also, you know, rubbed shoulders with some of the best players, you know, in the world. And I, I thought that from a publicity perspective, that was this massive, you know, like, oh, these poor champ lads, they're going to get slaughtered. It's going to be an absolute, you know, murder every week. But I think we were all pretty confident in saying it's not going to it's not going to be that easy. Mm. Um, and another point I made to you a couple of weeks ago was everyone was making excuses for Saris when they were losing these preseason games and they lost against Pirates, saying they didn't have Billy, didn't have Maro and Mako. And it's you know they didn't have them, which is fair enough. But the team they put out was the team they had, and that was that. It was still a Saracens outfit. It was still world class. A lot of the boys. And they had, they, you know, they they got filled in down at Pirates, um, and that that was it. That was the result. It, you know, there was nothing. No one, no one could change anything about that. Um, they played the players they had. They couldn't call anyone back from from loan, and that was that really. So this is like before starting. This is one of my sort of theories or thoughts. Is that where where does that where does that come from? That sort of poor poor old poor old champ. It's it's a narrative that's. When I was playing, and I've I said in the first podcast that I'm only starting to talk that I'm proud of playing Championship rugby. And I was going to ask you, Edgy, before or during or now, are, are you proud to play Championship rugby? And, you know, what, yeah, it's, it's you know we're all playing at a, a professional level, but people don't realise that there is a level of professional rugby below the Premiership. Yeah, um, and that obviously then leads on to the amount of exposure that the league gets mm. because you know these Saracens fans or whoever, these, you know, Northampton fans or Leicester fans, a lot of them don't have a clue what goes on, you know, week to week in the championship because it doesn't get the, the coverage it deserves. It doesn't get any games on TV. It might get three or four a year. And normally that's covered by a group of pundits that don't follow the league, have made, have made notes up on the day, have, you know, no disrespect to them, but they get the facts wrong. Because they don't have it, they're not fed any information and they don't bother following the league. I think that's kind of, and Gully, feel free to chirp in here, what we've tried to set up here, isn't it? In fact, that maybe take control of our own voice. And uh, something you said there, Edgy, that I wanted to go back to was you know, that the vast majority of these boys playing championship have are either, you know, waiting for an opportunity, had opportunity, or have come extremely close to being the guys that we are seeing on TV week in, week out. And the gulf, or the perceived gulf, as it perhaps is described in a lot of uh, mainstream rugby media, isn't in fact a gulf. It's actually quite a narrow margin. Edgy, um, for the benefit of this podcast, you've had a, I mean, you're what, you're 25 now, 25 years old? 25, yeah. But you've had a pretty incredible rugby career already. For the benefit of this show, let's just talk through that and go through some of the, you know, some of the names that you've rubbed shoulders and some of the setups that you've been in, if you take us back from the beginning. Um, I started in the senior academy at Wasps um, from 18 to 21. Um, and that final year I was on loan at Bedford, um, picked up an ACL injury that year, didn't really play much after uh, November time and Wasps didn't deem the quality of rugby that I'd been involved with as good enough to give me a first team contract. So that was that happens to loads of players every year. Um, signed for Bedford for a year, had great crap there, played an unbelievable team, finished third in the league that year, you know, made some friends for life. Um, Ealing were then knocking on the door then that following year, were recruiting quite well. 
you know, offering good packages and, and the vision was there to, to kick on. And I feel like if they had a couple of results go their way that season, they would have taken Irish to the wire and it could have been a different story. But again, picked up a foot injury in September, was out till January, came back fit. Um, face didn't really fit the team at that point. They were on a roll. They, you know, they were getting results and I don't think Ben Ward wanted to change that so didn't get much love didn't get selected again just the way it goes um, and then was left without a club for a bit Doncaster needed a hooker had a lot of friends there Sam Olver Stedman was there at the time uh, and then yeah I had a great year at Donny really enjoyed it uh, a bit of a bizarre year but it was it was full of some characters and and then Jersey came along and I'd had conversations with Harvey over the past few years anyway about potentially signing and I'd never got around to doing it um, and I finally thought that it would be a good time to to give it a crack so although there's been a few clubs in there you know in the last few years there's always been a reason you know it's never it's never just been club hopping um, for the crack and a bit of extra kit there's always been a reason for the move um, you know whether it's, it's a it's important to to sort of get that out there as well. Edgy. I had I had a lot of clubs, and you know, my, I moved because I wanted to move, or because mm. of or because of injury, and you know, and it's I enjoyed every move, every every move I did was, was great, and you you know you you get to play in a new group, you get to be coached by new people, and meet a load of new friends, and and you're still like really driven to play the highest level you can and see where that goes, aren't you? And it's, yeah, you said, it's, it's like playing for different clubs. There's no problem with that. People move around the prem. It's fine, and it's like you just got to try and find your club that you're comfortable in, and then kick kick on, isn't it? Hi, I'm Ed Slater, and I'm Mark Atkinson. And if you're still listening at this stage, that means Gully hasn't bored you. This is the Championship Clubs Podcast. Wait, so just touched on on funding, and this is something that I didn't didn't ever experience, um, and it's something that's quite relevant. And it's I know it's, it's a tricky question, but well, I want to sort of go down the angle of how, how it is for players at the moment. Um, we don't want to, I, I don't want to get into sort of there are a few issues and all that type of stuff that's right above my remit and, and knowledge. It's sort of, as a player on the ground, when you're getting news about the funding committee, what, what's being said as a group? Are you coming together as a group or are you splintering? I mean, and I mean, this is a championship group. Is the, is, is it, is it a collective, like we've got to try and fight this or is it sort of, well, let's just see what happens. I don't know. It's it must be really tricky as a player, I suppose. I mean, it's kind of taken out of your hands. Um, I mean, when the announcements were made last season, I'm pretty sure the owners of all the clubs were told a day before, if not on the day, and then we were told the day after. So there's nothing you can do because by the time you've taken on the news, it's all been done. Whatever's you know, whatever cuts have been made, that they're, they're, they're put in place. Um, as a group, you're kind of on edge as to where that leaves the league, where that leaves the clubs financially. Um, yeah. And obviously it affects wages and stuff and it affects, um, you know, recruiting and all that stuff. But I think it more affects the stuff behind the scenes that we don't, as players, really see. Those are the sort of things that I think it affects, you know, staff, physios, all that, all the little bits, all the money that, covers all those bits that the funding's great for, insurance policies. I think those are the things that it affects. Obviously it affects the wages, but as a as a player, you just kind of take take the news on the chin and and you know, you can tweet about it, you can write about it. But I think whoever's making these decisions are pretty set in their ways as to as to what they think of the champ. Just touching on social media, we're gonna go I'm just gonna line it up a little bit and 
Mate, I just got a question to ask you. Are you champ life? No, I'm not. I, but who is? But that is, that is, whoever runs champ life, that is something he would say if asked about it. No, I'm not. I'm not. Just for any I'm listeners, not. just for any listeners who might not be aware, there's an Instagram account. It's champ underscore 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 life, and it's. Uh, it's pretty sort of uh, gallows humour about the league, isn't it? I think it, it is quite amusing, but it's, if you took it too seriously, you could probably get very upset. But So 3G's edgy, that's not you. 3G's on my new hairline, that is not me. Fair okay, we can move on, we can move on. You can move on, you know now. I've announced it to everyone, everywhere. Yeah. 3G's, that is not me. Fair if you don't know what 3G's means, it's genuine, genuine, genuine. <laughs> so did you say was was Bedford your first loan experience in the champ then or was it been rough? no actually when, when I was 20 I went on loan to Rotherham um, for half a season and Justin Bunnell had just taken over um, and I got to the playoffs the year before with Lee Blackett Blackie went on to Wasps and then I went to Roth for half a season and yeah, learned, learned loads in six or eight games like absolutely loads I've been at Blackheath for half of that year and on the Monday, it was like, what's your thoughts about going on loan to Rotherham? And I was like, what can I think about it? And they were like, no. So I was like, right, but then I'll see you at training tomorrow. And then went up the following day. Um, how, so was was, how was Rotherham? Like, did you get to play in a Roth, Dov, Roth Donny um, game? or No, I didn't. My first game was actually against Bedford. Oh, okay. uh, uh, so Bolts was playing, Lumberg, Jordan Burns, Toops. Um, it was quite a, quite a good Bedford team. Um Obviously, I was, you know, 20 is quite young to be playing in the championship, especially as a forward. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't really have any expectations. I wasn't as much of a rugby nose back then as I am now. Mm. So I hadn't really paid much attention to the championship um, as a whole because my day-to-day was full-time with the first team and then in the evenings off to loan. So you're, you know, you're always thinking about what they're doing on the weekend and who their next game is. And then... Got sent up to Roth for half a season. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Played with Bomber, Lloyd Hayes, Caller. Um, who else was there? Mark Tampin. Uh, some characters, some good names, lads that I'm still friends with now. So that was my first experience was was playing for them. And then the year after that, on loan to Bedford. So would you would have played a bit of A-League at that point as well? Yeah, so I was playing A-League. I played A-League for two years at that point. Um and the A-League, like I've, I've mentioned it before in that piece I did after the cuts, is the problem with the A-League is one week you're playing against the World 15, which is great. And then the following week you're playing against three first-team players, two academy lads and 14 boys that just finished their A-levels. And, and they need to fill these slots with players that haven't played at a decent level or you know aren't involved in that actual team environment. And the games can be meaningless sometimes. Um and I think a lot of people agree with me there. I, and I said that I learned so much more in those six games, six or seven games of champ rugby than I did playing in the A-League. Um, although you're playing against some good lads, if you lost on that Monday, it wasn't the end of the world. You'd just get rolled out the following week. But if you lost for Roth that season, I think Burnell had been brought in to, to, to get them out of relegation. And that's what he did. But when you're in that environment, you know, a lot of lads, if they get relegated, that might be the end of their champ career. It might be, it might lead on to, you know, to the end of their career potentially. Um, so you deal with, you know, real life consequences playing in a championship environment. I feel like in the A-League sometimes it's very hit and miss and the approach to it is, is quite relaxed most of the time. 
Sean, you... I can vouch for that, mate. I, I played a bit of second team when I was in, in the Saris Academy, which is a bit different many, many moons ago. And I think I made my A-League debut for Leicester when I was 29. And I was like, what is this? It's just... Yeah. Yeah. And I was 29. I could I couldn't even see the value for the younger lads because it was just a, a meaningless fixture at the time. But then, like you said, the following week we had an unbelievable backline. So did the, so did Northampton who were playing, and it was a high quality game. And you know you you then practicing what the first team do correctly. But if you're if it doesn't have the right players and then it's not not got the quality of players and it has has no real value in comparison to a championship. Game. You just struggle. You just struggle to get anything out of it. Um, for example, there was games where I was at hooker and I'd just moved to hooker and I was playing with three or four second rows that had never played a game for Wasp in their life. I had no idea who they were. Turning up on a, on a Monday, learning line-out calls that afternoon. Yeah. You know, and you, you've got your own personal performance to worry about. But also, it's like, as a youngster, when you're playing in the A-League, there and then, it's a massive, massive deal for you. So you want to put the best account of yourself forward. And sometimes if you're playing with all the shags and you have no idea who they are, it can be really tough. Um, especially, like I said, when you come against the World 15 one week and Saris have decided to play every lad that didn't play on the weekend on in that Monday night team. You get absolutely licked out for 80 minutes. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> So it is, here's an interesting one. Put you both on the spot then. I mean, Ed, you, I think prior to being in the WAS Academy, you were developed through the, the Hartbury College system as well, which is obviously a renowned sort of breeding ground. How, what do you think the ideal situation and scenario is for basically Premiership Academy players? Do you think that playing champs should almost be mandatory? Or how, how do you, what do you think is the best way to make sure that these players, because ultimately you can only have one squad of, um, of of players per Premiership team, what would you do with all the rest of these lads that are contracted to these clubs every weekend? I I think from my personal point of view, there's the, the pathway is pretty good for most players. They'll they'll be a, a nat two, nat one, uh, first team route, and then you do have the guys like say like a Marrow who nineteen, he's good to go first team. So there are those freaks that are within the system. I think there's a there's a, I think. Um, Tom Francis mentioned it last week. There's a crop of players between 18 and 22, 23, and it's a development stage. They develop at different times. And I think, you know, that Nat one, you know, men's rugby championship and then back into a Prem team is 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 really valuable to that player. I don't know what you think, Edgy. Oh, massively. Um, I mean, I've never played premiership rugby, and it's obviously a goal of every championship players, but there's, like you said, there's only a handful of players that could probably skip the skip the pathway and be ready from the off. Um, you know, and you know, you know who they are. You know who they're going to be that have that ability to to do that. But most people need time developing in some sort of league. Some lads might do national one, be on the bench for a prem game, and then just keep playing premiership and, and never do the championship. And some lads might, you know, skip it all, like I just said, and, and go straight in. It, it all depends, really. Um, I just feel like for a front row and from a forwards perspective, it, the experience is invaluable if you're not in that professional setup playing week in, week out. George, I think that was brilliant. And I think we, you can say that uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of the season and whatever the rest of your rugby career holds. You've been a fantastic guest and thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers, Edgy. That was the Championship Club podcast with Michael Casey and Ben Gulliver. Check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe and like our YouTube channel.